You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. In connection with the second chapter of the first letter to the Thessalonians, which will be the second section of a sermon series on that letter, we will read two passages from Holy Scripture, first from the Old Testament and then from the New. First of all, then, Ezekiel 34, we'll read the first 16 verses. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals, and because my shepherds did not search for my flock but cared for themselves rather than for my flock, therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says, I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and will no longer be food for them. For this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look for them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land." There they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the Sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. So far from Ezekiel 34, we'll also turn to Matthew 20, starting at verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and, kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup, 
but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Several weeks ago now, I had the privilege to go through with you the first chapter of the first Thessalonians letter. We will continue then into the second chapter. Our text for this morning coming from First Thessalonians 2, verses 1 through 12. You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with His, with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, we confess in the Belgic Confession that there are certain marks, certain criteria of the true church. There has to be pure preaching of the word. There has to be proper administration of the sacraments. And there has to be proper execution of church discipline in the church for it to be a true church. And maybe we know these marks quite well, maybe we don't, but they at least receive quite a bit of attention whenever we talk about other churches and whether or not they are acceptable, God-believing churches. We try to see and determine whether a church is really a true church or not through these marks. But something that may not be so clear to us are the criteria, the marks of the true apostle, the true leader, a true office bearer of Christ. 
And in our text this morning, we are shown some of these marks of the true leader, the true apostle of the gospel of God. You see, Paul had to often defend his ministry to the churches that he was working in. It seemed to be a a hobby of outsiders to come in and slam Paul after he left and try to persuade people that the believers there were being persuaded by this man and he was just a fraud. It happened in Corinth. It happened in Galatia. And we can read of Paul having to defend his ministry in almost every letter he writes. Such is the case, again, in our text here in First Thessalonians. Paul wants to reassure the Thessalonians that he has the marks of a true apostle. He wants to show them that his ministry is genuinely from God. He does this over the course of these first 12 verses, and he does it in three different ways as well. And so we'll look at this text this morning under the following theme. Paul reassures the Thessalonians that his ministry is genuinely from God. We'll see that it seeks to please God, it lovingly shares the gospel of God, and it urges people to live worthy of the calling of God. The start of the church in Thessalonica, as recorded in Acts 17, we could we can see there that the Thessalonians were persecuted almost right away after Paul arrived there. The Jews of the area had stirred up trouble immediately, and they would have continued to do so after Paul left, ridiculing this young church for their faith in this man. This man, Paul, just shows up and preaches, and you're just going to believe him, they may have said. He left already with his companions, and you actually trust what he said. He's no different than any other teacher that comes in here and tries to convince you of some new teaching. What makes him so much different than any of the traveling philosophers around here or the powerful speakers that go around getting paid? And really, there were all kinds of itinerant preachers out there. Men who went around getting paid to speak and to teach. They would tell the people around them, the best way in which to live. They would use rhetoric and fancy language to convince them, and then they would move on after they get their paycheck to the next town. And so Paul, when he sent Timothy to this church, Timothy saw, would have seen the accusations and the ridicule that were going on in this church, and he reported it to Paul. So Paul, in turn, has to defend his ministry to the Thessalonians. He has to convince them that he was different than all of these other men that come around. He is a true apostle. His gospel was different. And he did this in chapter 1 by stressing how powerfully that gospel had worked in the Thessalonians. It had come with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. They had a unique and a strong faith. And so here in chapter 2, Paul is now showing that he himself is different. He is a genuine minister of God. After all, as our text says in the first couple of verses, he and his companions had previously suffered and been insulted at Philippi. We can read of that in in Acts 16, right before he came to Thessalonica. They had been severely beaten and flogged and thrown in jail. And it had taken a miracle from God to get them out of jail and have them saved. And yet, despite the fact that they were so severely persecuted and that that there was a good chance they would be persecuted again in Thessalonica, they continued on. They did not stop. 
in spite of strong opposition. God was with them. And this shows, says Paul, in verses 3 and 4, that they're not out to trick anyone. They're not preaching a false gospel. They're not full of errors or mistakes. They are men who have been approved by the true and living God. They have been tested. This is the same word that is used elsewhere to describe being refined by fire. Paul and Silas going through these persecutions and still pushing themselves to continue to spread God's word. That shows that they're truly committed to God. Even through extreme suffering, they have been tested and purified. And so they're approved by God. They have shown themselves. They're not working for themselves to make a living for themselves, but they work for God and His gospel, even sacrificing their lives for it. And Paul says, we're not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. That's something that only a true apostle would do. Only a true apostle would not worry about making their hearers happy. They only want God to be pleased with them. Any other person would being happy with them, with, with the true apostle, that's only a side benefit if other people are happy. And Paul builds on this in verse 5. He says, you know we never used flattery. Nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. Paul didn't have any ulterior motives going on. Him and Silas were straight up, honest, God-fearing men who don't care about trying to please the crowd or look good. They just care that God is pleased. In a way, it's like a great employee. The best employees will not be worried about their own paycheck at all. Through the ups and downs of a workday, if a customer or a client is upset, they won't think, well, at least I'm still going to get paid at the end of the day, even if the job wasn't that well done. No, a great employee is concerned for the company. They're committed to the company. They serve the company with their heart, and they want that company as a whole to do well. They want to please their boss by making the company profitable, successful. And in a way, a true apostle will do the same thing. The true apostle will not care about the ups and downs of of his evangelism, of the different people that he is evangelizing to, they are evangelizing to. They are not worried about their own paycheck and whether people will like them. They want God's kingdom, first of all, to grow. They want his church to bring in new members. They want the church to be filled with love and compassion. They want to please God to please Christ, the King. Church leaders today are are called to work for God in the same way. They too must not try to spread the gospel and to defend the church in order to please themselves or in order to please others. Ministers should not serve the church in order to get a, a bigger paycheck. They shouldn't even serve the church in order to get a paycheck. They should do it to please God. True church leaders, true office bearers, should look for ways in which they can please God more in visits, in meetings, and in everything that they do. And we as believers, a congregation, we are also called to do everything, not in order to please others, but in order to please God. 
in our job choices. We do not just take the highest paying job because we think it will benefit us most. No, we take the job which pleases God more, which benefits and helps out His church, His kingdom on earth more. And that makes sense in everything that we spend our time on in this life. We have to look at the the choices we make in how we spend our time and make sure that we're not just trying to please ourselves all the time or please other people. We have to be doing it in order to please God. It's foundational for church leaders, but it's also foundational for every believer in Christ. It is this desire to please God and not men, which then leads to the ability to work and serve in the church properly and lovingly. And that's what Paul goes on to talk about as he continues to show how his ministry is genuine. He talks about how he lovingly shares the gospel of God. Paul says, as apostles of Christ, in verse five, verse 6, they could have been a burden to the Thessalonians. Since they were only trying to please God, they could have just presented the gospel to them and left and moved on. They could have demanded much from the Thessalonians, their care, their money. If they were true apostles, they would deserve to be paid after all. But Paul says his ministry is genuine because instead of being a burden, he was gentle among them, like a mother caring for her little children. He and Silas spent time caring and devoting their lives to the Thessalonians. And a mother cares and nourishes her children. She brings them up. She feeds them. She makes sure they grow and they're, they're healthy. And a mother sacrifices her life to make sure that this happens. And in the same way, Paul and Silas were caring for the Thessalonians in their faith. They started them off with the basics. They fed them with the word and cared for them. They helped them to grow strong and, and healthy in their faith. And just as a mother selflessly devotes her life to her children, so Paul and Silas selflessly devoted their lives to the Thessalonians to help them understand the faith, to help them grow in the faith. Our text says that they shared their lives with the Thessalonians as well because they had become so dear. This was a true relationship that Paul and Silas had with this church. They had this close connection, a close relationship in which they genuinely tried to help these Thessalonians. They did everything they could to provide for them. It was, it was the opposite of any trickery or, or flattery. It was sincere devotion to these Thessalonians. And this loving sharing of the gospel was further proven, as our text goes on to say, by the fact that Paul and Silas worked night and day while they were with the Thessalonians in order to not be a burden to them. They worked night and day. Paul was a a tent maker by trade, and he would make his living Uh, fixing tents, working with tents, and probably selling them in the marketplace. And he used this opportunity to talk to people, to get to know them, and to tell them the gospel in their everyday lives. And that was a, a great contrast with any itinerant preacher that would come around getting paid for this job. Paul and Silas were much different. And so Paul can say to the Thessalonians, if anyone asks you 
or accuses us of not being genuine, you can tell them that you can see by the way we made our own living while we were with you. We worked whenever we could to provide for ourselves so that you did not have to provide for us yourselves. So that you did not have to keep us going in any way. We worked hard and we spent what time we did have teaching the gospel to you in a caring and loving way so that you could understand. We were devoted to you so that you could be saved. And that, brothers and sisters, is again a mark of a true minister of God's Word. That is the mark of someone who is preaching the true gospel. They work hard for others. They devote their lives to them, to fellow sinners, so that they can repent and believe. They so deeply believe the truth of God and and of Jesus Christ that they will do whatever it takes to lovingly spread that gospel. Even if it takes time spending or making tents on the side, even if it takes sacrificing your own lives, putting your own life at risk to get to know these people, to share in their struggles, their hopes, their happiness. That is how someone lovingly shares the gospel. That's how both a genuine believer and a genuine church leader share the gospel. Genuine leaders care for the flock of God. They're shepherds. They're under-shepherds of God's flock. And we read about shepherds in Ezekiel 34. There, the leaders of Israel were considered shepherds, but they were being called out. They were getting in trouble because they failed as shepherds to really care for the flock. They didn't help the weak. They didn't help the sick. They didn't bandage up those who were injured. The flock was scattered. And nobody was bringing any sheep back. The shepherds were only taking care of themselves. They were making sure that they themselves were fed. And Jesus, too, in his day, said that the people of God were like sheep without a shepherd. The leaders were only focused on themselves. But true leaders, true shepherds, they care for God's flock deeply, like a mother cares for her children. They do whatever it takes working night and day to bring the gospel to their sheep, to feed them, to nourish them, and to help them to grow strong like a mother cares for her children. They devote their lives for the sheep. And true shepherds, they know their sheep. They spend time getting to know them in order to share that gospel with them properly. They know their weaknesses. They know when they're hurting or when they're struggling, when their wounds need to be bound up or when they start to go astray. They go after lost sheep without any care for their own lives. These are genuine leaders, genuine office bearers of God's church. And Jesus Christ, the Good Shepherd, He did this as well. He spent His whole ministry tending to His sheep. And He prepared His disciples, His under-shepherds, to make sure that they could tend the flock when He would have to leave and ascend. Jesus served his people. He washed their feet. He spent his energy until he was tired for his people. And he called the disciples to do the same thing. And we read in Matthew 20 of how he redefined what true leadership really is. Leadership is not about being great or getting some high position. 
No, he says, the kingdom of God is different. You are different. Whoever wants to be great among you disciples, you must be your servant. You must be a servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Leaders in the church today ought to do whatever they can to serve the congregation. They must serve and devote their lives to the congregation in order that the gospel may be given to them lovingly, shared to them, applied to their lives. They serve in their position. And brothers and sisters, we as fellow believers should see what being a true leader is all about, but we should also see from this how to lovingly share the gospel of God ourselves. We can do it in our work, around our homes, but we have to do it lovingly. We have to get to know people if we are going to share the gospel with them. We should realize their struggles and their burdens. We should share our lives with them and try to see whether they are truly understanding the gospel when we explain it to them. That's how true leaders should share the gospel, but that's also how true believers in general should share the gospel of God. That gospel which God has revealed about himself, about Jesus Christ and his saving work. It is God's gospel that we lovingly share and we, we depend on him to, to work through us as we share it. But Paul is not done with his message to the Thessalonians, assuring them that he was a true apostle, that his ministry was genuine. A true apostle, they, they love and care for the people, but they also comfort, encourage, and urge believers to live worthy of the calling of God. Our third point. Paul continues in verses 10 through 12, 12, with a, a description of, of how well he and Silas had acted in their ministry. They were holy, righteous, and blameless among them. So while they were making tents on the side, Paul and Silas were actually living out the gospel that they were preaching. They were walking the talk, so to speak. They were genuinely loving and caring towards the Thessalonians, as we already have seen, but they were also just morally living blamelessly according to God's word and according to his law. They were putting every effort in to get rid of sin in their lives and to do what was right. Nobody could even really accuse them of of doing anything wrong. But Paul is not too concerned with this. His point is more that he's not just concerned about his own blameless living. He wants also the Thessalonians to live blamelessly as well. And so being a mother, like a mother to the Thessalonians, loving and caring for them, as we saw in verse 7, that was not enough for Paul. No, Paul and Silas wanted to be the, the whole parenting package. They acted as a father as well towards the Thessalonians. They acted as a father would towards his children. That's what our text says. What does a, a father do? He wants the best for his children. And so he encourages them, he comforts them, but he also urges them to do good things, to live properly. And Paul and Silas have done just that in their work among the Thessalonians. 
They, they help them along. They urge them to live lives worthy of God. They urge them to live lives worthy of God who calls them into His kingdom and glory. So that's, that's what the calling is. God calls believers into His kingdom and glory. He calls them to work, to serve, to be part of His kingdom. He calls them to worship, to celebrate, and to represent His glory in their lives. Believers are called to that. And now we are, Paul urges the Thessalonians to live worthy of that calling. And so if we as believers are going to live in God's kingdom, if we're going to work in it, and are going to live in God's glory, dwelling in the presence of His holiness, we have to live worthy of that calling of being in His kingdom. And a true church leader, an office bearer will do that, and so will a true believer. But a true leader will themselves urge the congregation to live worthy of God's calling. For believers, we're called to live appropriately. We're called to live worthy of that calling. We, we've done profession of faith as, as members of this church. We have professed and made it known publicly that we believe in Jesus Christ, that He died for us, that we are saved in Him from our sin, and that we're made righteous before God now. And we, we told everyone before us, we had witnesses that we believe, that we want to show ourselves thankful to God in everything that we do. We want to get rid of sin more in our lives. That's what we told everybody at our profession of faith. So does how we act now match up with what we said we believed? Are we living lives worthy of the calling of God? Do we show we believe by actually loving each other, by actually being happy to go to church, by being excited to show God our love and our worship? As believers, we're called by God to live lives that are worthy of His calling. And for the leaders in the church, Paul is describing here genuine leadership. He has shown that it has to do with motherly care and, and love, but it also has to do with fatherly encouragement and urging. Office bearers are called to urge their flock to live worthy lives. They're called to, to help those who are struggling in their sin. They're called to urge sinners to true repentance, true grief over their sin. They have the task to hold believers accountable for how they live their lives, to discipline them if they are not living worthy of their calling. That's what a father would do for his children. And in a way, isn't that a call to fathers as well? Good fathers, according to Paul, encourage, comfort, and urge their children to live properly. They show love and understanding to their children, but they want them to live worthy of God's calling. They want them to live worthy of the God of the God who has promised them through baptism that He will be with them. And so, in whichever way we look at this passage, brothers and sisters, we still see that God is directing His church, directing them to see what true leadership, true genuine ministry is all about, and directing them to do all of these things, to 
please Him, to live worthy lives, to lovingly share the gospel, all of these things. God is directing His church, showing them that these are important. So whether we are leaders in the church or just fellow believers, we all must continue to pray that God will use genuine apostles, genuine ministers, genuine office bearers, but also genuine believers, that He will use them to please Him, to share His gospel lovingly, and to live lives worthy of His calling. May this, when we do all these things, may that bring all glory and honor to His name. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.